Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we are going to sit down and talk with the University of Mississippi's Chaz Ossenheimer about the monitoring program that they've developed with their volleyball team that revolves around the vert technology. Uh, really, guys, Chaz breaks the whole thing down. It's really awesome. He's going to start talking about why they chose vert, what they were actually collecting, how long they collected data. And then gets into how it's starting to drive decisions, whether it be practice decisions um, and training decisions. It's really an awesome talk, guys. Listening to them break it down from, from the infantile stages to where they are today. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Chaz, thanks for being on with us today, man. Hey, Coach. Thanks for uh, asking me to be on here, man. I'm super humbled that you reached out to me to ask me to be on this, to be honest with you, man. This is, a, uh, this is my first time ever doing something like this, so I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited and pretty happy to get a chance to do this. No, man. Well, I'm actually – like, this is really exciting to me because a lot of people know that I'm, I'm kind of a, a data nerd when it comes to looking at things with our student-athletes. And you guys are doing some pretty neat stuff down there, so – so let's talk about your work with volleyball and what you guys are collecting, what you're looking at, and, and how it's driving things within not just training but the team itself. Yeah, so uh, I've been at Ole Miss now. This is going in my fourth year at Ole Miss, and uh, I was at Baylor before this for a couple of years, and um, I, that's where I really found um, my love-hate relationship with data collecting was at Baylor when Coach Altoff and Coach Roof started doing catapult stuff there. And uh, seeing the amount of data that they were collecting there, but they were so passionate about what they were seeing and they were so excited to see the direction that they could take their training. And uh, that kind of excited me a little bit in, in terms of looking more into technology and how to implement that in our training program. So when I got here, uh, Bird Technology had been out for a few years already and uh, they're, they were really, really big in volleyball to start with. Um, and they're now starting to kind of tread into some of the other sports of tennis and basketball and track and field because some of the new things that they can find are, you know, movement efficiency, mechanical stress loads, um, and so on top of already the jump counts, max height and stuff like that. So about three years ago, uh, I met a guy named Kip Cobb. Uh, he's one of the director of sales there at Vert, and uh, he reached out to me about the idea of uh, integrating this into our system. And I had already heard of about them before and so we moved forward with the vert classic uh and we began uh starting collecting data on jump counts for position specific their max jump for the day and then their average height uh for each practice game uh year round now we started doing this year one and at first we we're looking at this data and we, i had an understanding of what direction i wanted to go into you know i know this analogy probably gets used uh more often than it probably should but 
it's just like a baseball pitcher leading up to a pitch night on a Friday night. Uh, they throw so many pitches leading up to their game to make them feel most optimal during that game. Uh, and, we're, and that's what we're trying to produce here at Ole Miss is with, that, with the uh, Verts that when we first got here. And, uh, and so over the three years now, we've been collecting all this data, and we've been working with another professor over in British Columbia and working Vert directly, and then also other schools that are using it, uh, and trying to uh, really run down a very specific jump count for position-specific leading up to games, especially in conference when we know our games are typically like a Friday and a Sunday or something like that. And so, like, what do our outside hitters need to jump on a Tuesday, and what do they need to jump on a Wednesday and a Thursday, jump count-wise, to, to optimize their ability to play at the highest level? And we're, net, we're like, within 10 to 20 jumps, I believe, just looking at trends for the last two to three years. Um, and, you know, something else we've added this year now is now that you can see when they land the mechanical stress load and what that's doing to their body and kinetic chain every time they land after a jump. Or even, like, when they, a DS dies for a ball, what is that doing to her body? Um, and the setter, like, so for years it's always been setters jump, you know, uh, anywhere from two to 300 times a practice or a match. But those jumps are like 10 to 12 inches high and they're not very, they're not a big stress load. But what is that doing to them though long term? You know, if, if you have a kid that comes as a freshman and she does this year round for four years, what does she look like by her senior year? Um, and that's kind of been a really big question for us is, uh, you know, we, know we, under, we have a greater understanding on the outside hitters and the middle blockers now, but now let's take a look at these setters because we've collected all this data on them as well. And so how do we manage their stress loads and how do we help them feel most optimal on game days, especially as the year three and four is the first year. It's not a big deal. They've been doing this their whole life, but that's when the overuse injuries start happening. That's when, you know, the tendonitis starts kicking in for them junior, senior year or, uh, you know, lower back problems just from the amount of jumps they're doing just constantly year round two to 300 every single day. And, uh, that's kind of what, that's kind of the rabbit hole we're going down right now. If that kind of, uh, explains a little bit of it. No, that's absolutely awesome. So let's go back. So you said you guys came in and, and you got numbers within like 10 and 20 jumps per week or whatever. How yeah. did you guys establish baselines and how did you then move forward looking at that kind of trial and error period of like too much, too little. Yeah. You know, like the whole Goldilocks thing. Like how'd you figure out what was just right? Yes. Uh, so like the first year we just, all we did was collect data. And the first year we had, the first year here we were here, we had some injuries. We had some ankle problems. We had uh, some patellar tendonitis pop up in our first year. In the first year we're like, we're just collecting data. Like Coach McRoberts, the head coach here, he's gonna run the practices that he's always been run. He's been doing this for 19 years. He's just going to run his practice. That was the goal. Just run the way you want to run it. And we're just going to collect. We're just going to sit back and collect this data and look at trends at the end of a full year. And so the trends that we're looking at is, all right. So this outside hitter, her best jump may have been on a Wednesday, and we play Friday Sundays. And we're saying, all right, what was our jump count leading into that Wednesday for the last ten days or something? We might have a middle blocker. Her best jump was on a Sunday out of nowhere in the middle of the season. All right, so what was the, her jump count looking like? And so we, we grab all this data through a uh, you know one of those statistical analysis programs that our PhD programs here have, our exercise, depart exercise science departments have. And they're running these trends and they're running these analysis. And you just start seeing these little trends of, wow, okay, for an outside hitter, it looks like a majority of your outside hitters were most optimal when they were jumping anywhere from 90 to 110 on a Tuesday, 
70 to 85 on a Wednesday and then less than 60 on Thursday leading up to game days. And okay, so year two, we we have a, an idea. We, you know, we're within, you know, plus or minus 20 of that range, I would say, right? So year two, we start implementing these jump counts. Year two, we have zero injuries. We have one concussion. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of the sport, though. Uh, especially at SEC, an outside hitter goes up and blasts a ball down line. If it hits you in the head, there's a good chance that's that's something that's going to happen. It's kind of the sport. Uh, but we, you know, no ankles, no knee, no patellar tendonitis, no hips, no lower backs. Um, and that was a big thing for us year two. We're like, all right, so we got to be pretty close. But the but the maximum jumps still weren't happening always on game days. Sometimes they would happen on a practice a day or two before the game or in between games. And so, but we were a lot closer though this year, like that second year, max jumps kept creeping up as the year went on. And so, you know, we might have an outside hitter or a middle blocker. She might uh, maximum jump. She might hit her max jump, you know, early September, but then it would happen again, like late October, early November, she would beat that number. And so something was working. Something was happening where most of these kids were hitting their, their best jump of the year towards the end of the season. Okay. So, we collect that data, we pair it with our year one, uh, we send it off, they do the trends again. All right, so now we're a little bit closer and that we're going to do last year, year three. And again, we go a second year in a row, no injuries except we had two concussions though this time. And so then we're like, but then now we also have kids that are hitting their max jumps on game days now. So now on game days, we're seeing that kids are starting to hit their best jump and it's happening over and over and over as the year goes on. Like they're not just hitting it once in September and then they didn't hit it again until the end of October or November. It's like every other week these kids are like PR. Even if it's by like, you know, if their PR was like 27 inches and the next one was 27.1 or 27.2, but that's still PR, right? That's still that's still better than what they've done before. And so, but then it just keeps happening and happening and happening. We're like, holy cow, man, this is phenomenal. And so now we're going into year four. And, but now you're able to avert, now we can understand mechanical stress load and understand every time they every time they land, that could have an impact on how they feel the next day. And maybe that will have an impact. Maybe that'll help us be even a little bit better with uh, having our range of jump counts and, and, and including mechanical stress load. But now and also we can look at efficiency. Like we have one outside hitter that her energy is out of the roof compared to all the other outside hitters. I mean, her the energy is measured by joules per pound, joules, whatever that means, right? I mean, that's so that's that's the that's how they use it to measure. But so this one girl though, she's producing like eight thousand joules per pound through practice, and all the other outside hitters are producing like four to five thousand. And it's like, why is that happening? And she's a top spin server, which is also a pretty big pivotal point of probably producing more energy because she's every time she serves, she's throwing the ball up really high, jumping really high, landing really hard every single time. So what does that mean? And now we've only been using this for like 10 days. This data is only being, being collected for 10 days. So we don't really know exactly what we're looking at, right? We're just looking at this data saying, all right, what does this mean? Let's, let's make some notes as we go. Let's look for trends. Um, and we're, you know, we're going into the season. Our first uh, tournament is this weekend. It's a Friday. It's a doubleheader. And so we're going into, into the season healthy again, 30 in a row, no injuries during preseason. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's feeling good. Uh, and so coach always loves that, right? He's always looking down saying, oh, that's, that's phenomenal. Great. That's what we want because it seems like every year we go to our first tournament, we play other teams that are, they have a starter out or they got two starters out with bummed injuries. And that's just because you know, most of the time preseason, we're running these three a days, these four a day practices. I mean, 
there's some teams out there that are practicing, you know, four times a day, uh, multiple days in a row, and then they take a day off because it's preseason. They don't have school. They have nothing else going on. They can just play volleyball. And it's like, if you're not being careful of what you're doing, it's a really quick way for patellar tendonitis or an injury to pop up really, really quickly, right? Uh, and so then the last thing that we use this for is there's one of the best ways to test their central nervous system, I think, is through vertical jumps. It's a really, really quick predicator of where they stand. And so when you start seeing a kid go three, four, five days in a row where her max jump is just diving, it's just, it's just dip, 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 leading up to game day. And then even game day, she's going down. There, that's a red flag immediately for us. And, uh, you know, they just, I know there's a lot of teams that run like a 10-yard sprint every day to test their CNS or they do like a jump test or whatever. But this is a really easy way and uh, applicable way for us to just get immediate feedback of where they feel because at this level too, there's no way. A kid is not going to come to you and say, I don't feel good today. I need a day off uh, because it's very competitive at this level where everybody wants to start. Everybody wants to play. Um, and that's how they got to this level is being competitive. And so there's, there's no chance they're going to come to you and say, I just don't feel like, I don't feel good today, man. I'm really tired. I don't, I can't practice today, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to say anything like that. And so this is a really good, easy way for us to kind of just throw a red flag up and say, all right, something's going on here. There's something happening where she either, she's tired, she's fatigued, her legs are underneath her. Something just isn't firing the right way. And so that's when she'll go and do extra recovery work with our athletic trainer who will do a self-massage maybe one day, put her in the Normatec boots. Maybe she does a contrast bath that day, but you know she goes to the athletic trainer uh, and she does a great job of just whenever we need to in insert these recovery modalities immediately. She does a really good job, but we almost get a, an immediate kickback within 24 to 48 hours where the next practice or two, she gets an immediate kick, and all of a sudden now she's back up to where she normally is. Uh, you know, and between that 28 to four, 24 to 48 hours, you know, that's a time where the, she may not even jump at all in practice. She might just be doing, you know, uh, serve-receive stuff, might just be working on defensive uh, positioning and, and where they're going to play out from, from a film standpoint. So she may take that day off technically from, from jumping and whatnot, but uh, she's still out there practicing. But the recovery modalities have been – really quick feedback for us and, and get to get them back to where they need to be quickly and it, it helps us immediately because what if we didn't have that and we didn't really notice that because to the naked eyes she looks like she's you can tell she's trying really hard but what if to the naked eye you couldn't see that and that's when a kid uh you know blows up her knee or something she lands wrong she's fatigued and she's tired or what if she just lands wrong and twists her ankle and now she's out for two to three weeks with a high ankle sprain or blows her achilles tendon out or something i don't know i mean god forbid any of that stuff happens but it's a really good way for, uh, for us to just, you know, try to predict as much as we can injuries that, that are prone to fatigue and being tired and not being yourself. Well, yeah, or at least to take a detour before, you know, because if you're spotting things that are telling you that a kid is starting to wear down, you know, making those changes to practice, uh, I mean, it's an attribute really to your head coach being flexible with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he's a, he, he nerds out with me on this. So we've been, you know, this, this year we've been working with, uh, Bert, uh, David Gill and Pat over there make us these very individualized reports. I've been pretty high maintenance on this <laughs> since we started it. This All of these position specific players in their own position and then graphs out, 
energy, intensity, the amount of watts that are producing, jump count, blah, 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 blah. And so then like the coaching staff, I'll send these reports to them and we'll all sit down with the athletic trainer as well. And that's how we come up with this practice plan every single day was, wow, our middle blockers yesterday did a 12 minute blocking drill and they added 40 to 50 jumps very quickly to their jump count. And today might be a good day where middle blockers take a, take a back seat and do more serve receive work and more uh, just positioning drills and stuff like that, where maybe they're not jumping as much. And he and he'll he'll just go right on board saying, yeah, okay, yeah, it makes sense to me, you know. And uh, he'll ask good he asks us questions all the time, like what does this mean or how does this relate to this? And it's like it's awesome to work with a coach like that because. Mm-hmm gives you the freedom to do something like this and not micromanage you or tell you how to do your job. He's just there to, you just give him the information and he, he does what he feels is best for his team. And uh, he's very open-minded about it. And, you know, it, it shows when our, and our records for wins and losses, I mean, yeah, we haven't made an NCAA tournament since we've been here yet. Right. But we took over a program that hadn't had a winning record for since like 2010 or 11 or something like that. And we've had we've had for the three winning seasons in a row now for the first time since like '82 here at Ole Miss. You know, uh, two out of the three of those were 20 plus win seasons. First time they've done that in, in like three decades. Um, you know, so it, we're producing. We're right there on the edge. Uh, and he's been building this culture a certain way of, of accountability and work ethic and stuff like that. And this this verse stuff helps because uh, I told this story to Bert uh, when they were in town was. Like our one of, one of our first one or two years we were here, uh, we had a middle blocker during practice time that uh, anytime she ran a slide, she didn't uh, didn't want to maximize her jump. She just kind of wanted to go through that motion. And so she wasn't jumping as high on her slides. So the setter would set the ball a little bit lower for her because she wasn't jumping very high, right? And so then we get into game time and this middle blocker all of a sudden now adds a couple inches to her, her vert because she's trying now. But the setter is still playing the ball really low because that's what they've been practicing. And the middle blocker is getting stuff blocked every time. And then she's saying it's the setter's fault. Well, the setter's not setting me up high enough. That's, that's not my fault, blah, blah, blah. Well, you go back to the vert uh, data that we have and you, you show her, listen, during practice time, you're running, you're running your slides, you're only jumping 22, 23 inches. And in game days, you're running 26, 27 inches. That's a four inch difference. So the ball placement is gonna be different. And it kind of like opens your eyes of like, I didn't realize the impact of me not jumping as high as I possibly could in practice, how that didn't, how that affected me in game days. And that was an immediate switch. And so all of a sudden she realizes light goes on, you know, and all of a sudden now the last three or four weeks of that season, uh, she's, you know, she's running up double digit kills every game, understands the the concept of, uh, maybe I should be jumping like I do in practice than I do in games and vice versa. And so it's a quick, easy way to help people stay accountable too in practice when people want to take days off if they, if they want to. It's a, it's a quick, immediate feedback for us. Well, that's fantastic. So let's talk about these quotas. When you're looking at the jump count, are you looking at the day? Are you looking at an average over a certain period of time? Or do they just have, like, a, lack of a better term, like a pitch count when it comes to number of jumps? Yeah, so we're looking at it. Uh, it's day by day, week by week month by month for us. And so every day at the end of practice, uh, I'll I'll hand put these numbers into a spreadsheet I've created for just the jump counts because it's a really quick, easy way to access it. I just open up this file, poof, there it is. And then Vert will also send in these reports that are a little bit more detailed of energy and what that looks like from their average leading up to that day. Um, And we'll go week by week as well. So 
look at it from a bigger scheme, uh, you know, the whole week leading up to game days, what does that look like for them? What is most optimal for each person? Uh, but for the in terms of the pitch count, though, that's definitely a day-by-day scenario where we're looking at saying, like I said earlier, middle blockers, uh, you know, if we're playing on a Friday, they may only jump no more than 110 times that Tuesday. And on a Wednesday, it may not be no more than 80. And on a Thursday, it might be, you know, as much as 60. That 60 would be the most they would probably do uh, leading up to their game on Friday. And then on Saturday, our jump counts are typically between anywhere from 20 to 45, maybe 50 tops for everybody across the board on a Saturday when we go into play on Sunday. Our Saturdays are really big for our recovery flush out days where you do some tempo work, some aerobic conditioning work, just flush them out. Uh, get them get them loose. Uh, we do some uh, T-spine stuff, some fertile mobility work for their hips. And then they go into like a 30-minute practice, maybe an hour tops of uh, watching film. The team we're going to play on Sunday, how are we going to position? How do we play defense against them? How do we run our offense against them? And, and uh, you know, there might be a little bit of jumping in there just to continue to grease that groove. But other than that, it's nothing more than just a kind of a walkthrough more than anything else on Saturday. So. You know, really day by day really is the biggest thing for us right now when we're in season in terms of jump count for each each kid individually. No, I love it, man. I think that's awesome. So let's take it a step further now, and let's take that off the court. How does this impact your training, and how has this influenced you as a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, good question, man. So, uh, so one of the things that I, I picked up, one of the big things I picked up when I was at Baylor was this, we did this thing called this jump rudiment. And um, it's a very common uh, high volume, low intensity jump protocol we do off season for, I do it, I do it with both of my teams here, volleyball and tennis. Uh, and it, I think it's, uh, it was kind of came about from an Alvar Meal type, uh, his type of days when he did this. And uh, so week one, it'll be, so when I say like high volume, low intensity, I mean like simple pogo jumps, four, five yards, backwards, five yards, but they're trying to get 20 to 30 jumps. But the thing is when you do this, if you're doing it just by eye saying, hey, make sure you get a lot of jumps, guys. Make sure you're doing it. Get get high. Do a lot of jumps. I mean, some kids are going to get like 15 jumps and some kids are going to get 30 because some kids are just going to start jumping forward, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard if you have five kids. If you have a full team of 20 kids and you're by yourself and you only have five kids going at a time, it's still hard to un- understand and make sure that all the kids are getting a certain amount of jumps. And so you throw these verts on. And you're like, listen, guys, you're going to go five yards forward, five yards back, but you need to be getting a minimum of 20, 20 jumps. All right, so then they throw these on, and you put this uh, iPad hooked up to the Apple TV that's on our turf upstairs, and poof, they see it live. While they're going, they can see this TV counting for them while they're going, each kid. And so, you know, they'll go like pogos, five yards forward, five yards back, lateral pogos, five yards forward, five yards back. And we'll start off at like 100 jumps twice a week, and each week it progresses a little bit more. It, we add another exercise to it leading up into their spring ball and then we do it we run it back again in the summertime and in the summertime we'll do it with their eyes closed uh so it's a little bit more appropriate reception work while they're doing this jumping count and for us it's a really quick way to uh keep in management on their load of how many jumps they're going to do and make sure we're we're doing it the right way right and making sure that each kid is getting the amount of jumps they need to get but then a step forward now the stuff that you can do with it in terms of mechanical stress load you know, we put these on soccer about two weeks ago when they were doing depth drops and they were doing depth drops off like a 12 inch block. It wasn't very high. And all they were doing was landing and stick it. And we put it, we did four kids at a time and we saw one kid 
would land on her right leg and then her left leg, but it was so fast and subtle that by the naked eye, I don't know if we would have realized it with four or five kids going at once. I don't know if we would have seen that. Uh, so, but they had the verts on and we could, we could read on their iPad, one iPad that controls it. You can see it when they land, it'll go, it'll blip. And this kid had two blips go when she, when she landed. And they were, while they were subtle, they were less than five G's in terms of impact. There was two blips while everyone else only had one. And so what that told us was that kid was landing uh, awkwardly or you know, not landing equally on both feet. And so what does that tell us? That could tell us that either she doesn't understand how to just step off the box. She might be jumping off the box. She might, maybe we need to switch feet and she needs to go the other way. Uh, maybe she had a knee injury previously. Yeah, I don't do soccer. That's Brian Wiseman. But we're just talking about this. Like, maybe she has a knee injury previously. Maybe, she, I don't know, she could have been a freshman, could have had a knee injury, could have had an ankle problem previously. And maybe she's trying to hide it subconsciously by trying to land on the other leg first. Very, very subtly, though. It's like it's like tenth of a second difference. But if you're doing that over and over and over and over, then there's going to be some kind of imbalance created there. or There's going to be something that's going to happen there eventually. Uh, and so like, that's another way we start implementing it. And then I think the really, really cool thing that we're doing right now, I think we're one of the first ones, first schools in the country to do this was we bought some true form runners this summer. Uh, they're, and they're just like the woodway curves. Uh, you know, they're non, they're non mechanical running they're, It's all based on you running and they had that slight curve at the top. But we, uh, Vert got us these Bluetooth pieces that hook up to this runner and you can put these verts up bilateral. And while you're running, you can see on the iPad which leg is creating more force, which leg is uh, absorbing most of the stress. Are you imbalanced while you're running? Uh, and, and you can work on running technique and being more efficient while you're running on this treadmill through immediate feedback with the vert pieces. And so we tried it on all of our strength staff. It was uh, me, Brian, Ryan, and the vert guy, David, was here. We all ran it. And all of us were at a different efficiency pace. So like Ryan, our uh, assistant here, he was the most efficient when he ran. And it gave you immediate feedback of the absorption rate, the mechanical stress load, and efficiency each leg. And so it was pretty cool to be able to mess around with that. We haven't messed around with it too much, so I don't really have a whole lot of like immediate examples, but that's just, we just, cause we just got this about two weeks ago. But it's pretty cool though to see like what the rabbit hole could be like for that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I have a kid who has, uh, she came in as a freshman, automatically had a right hip problem. Like right hip was just imbalanced compared to her left. And you could see when she ran, you could see it when she played tennis. That's a kid that came back from re and when she first got here as a freshman in August, like the first week or two, she like tore her ACL. Mm -hmm. Like first week here. I mean, playing tennis in a tournament already right off the bat, they're playing in Las Vegas. Uh, and she tears her ACL first week here. And so she comes back from that rehab, da, 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 but her right, and it's her left ACL, but now her right hip is starting to bother her a lot her second year, which was last year. And the athletic training is working on her and trying to get her to understand how to, you know, trust your left leg. It's strong enough now. You don't, you know, it's a mental block more than anything, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we put her on this true form and we have her just running and you can immediately see how she is leaning to one side, even though it doesn't look like it to the naked eye, it's not like she's like running like this, mm -hmm. but you can tell every time she lands, she puts more load on her right leg and she does less load on her left leg when she's running. And that was immediate feedback for us to be able to show her and say, because you know, she's telling us, no, I don't think I'm doing that. I feel fine when I run. I don't feel like I'm shifting at all. 
Well, let, let me just show you this data analysis right here of you running immediately from the weight room during a warm up. You know, and it just clicks for her. And then she just, she just understands like, okay, so subconsciously, maybe I don't think I'm doing it, but I am doing it. And it's just something to think about. And it's just, you're just working more and more and more. So we'll see what else we can do with it. But I think that was a pretty cool thing that we could start doing though, here in the, right here in the weight room with kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's something that'll correct itself? Or do you think that there'll have to be training modifications based upon that? Or yes. I, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's training modifications to get to until the kid feels like because a lot of that to me seems like a mental thing, right? Like mentally, there this kid knows she's never been injured before. Two years ago, she tore her ACL, and now it's still just in the back of her head, even though she thinks that she's not, uh, you know, weighing around to one side. It's happening. And to be able to give her that immediate feedback without just telling her, because everyone's just telling her all the time, right? Everyone's telling her. Her tennis coach is telling her, hey, I see you when you play. You're, you're, you're favoring your one side. And she's saying, I don't think I am. You know, when she's running with me, I'm telling her, hey, I think you're, you know, everyone just keeps telling her this. And she doesn't want to believe it. But then you show her the scientific analysis of this. And you show her that, you know, this, this computer isn't lying to you. This computer doesn't know who you are. It does, it's not lying to you. This is, this is the truth here. And. You know, and so it, it just, you know, it's just like, wow, okay. So it maybe she ends up believing that a little bit more, maybe. I don't know. It's just, you're just trying to get her to understand that part of it. And it's been a big help for her. It's, it's been big for her. She's been here, and we've worked with her a little bit on it. And you could already tell each session gets a little bit better. She's uh, trusting it a little bit more. Um, and so it's kind of cool to see. It's just, it's cool to see that light go on and things start to happen a little bit differently. Just, it's not another human being telling her this. It's something, that, you know. Something that she could probably trust a little more, maybe. I don't know. Well, and I think that just to, I don't know if I want to say sell it to the kid or, or show the kid that you're actually trying to help them and you're not making this stuff up. I mean, it's, right. how, how do you right. put a price tag on that? I, I don't know. I don't think you can because, I mean, I, I mean we've only had two weeks and we're, we're already using it on that one kid and seeing the results immediately. I mean, what's, you know, all the kids just got back on campus this week. Uh, starting this week for school and so you know a lot of the tennis kids come back because they're all most of them are from overseas so they come back earlier and they'll come in and get a workout in themselves stuff like that but it'll be interesting to see this more because we have 20 units and so soccer's talked about using them a lot in here in the weight room in terms of their depth jumps and when they're jumping for their plyometric sessions and we're talking about using with track and field and we've talked about using it now with basketball across the street and so there's a just a really big application across the board that I, I think that is starting to kind of open up for everybody. I think Mississippi State women's basketball just bought these not too long ago, and they did pretty good. And uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. You know, it's it's uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, man, I think that's fascinating stuff. I love the direction guys are going, and it, it, I'm really excited that there's buy-in across not just the team in general with volleyball, but it, it seems as though. With athletes in different sports too, this that's fascinating stuff. I'm I'm really glad to hear you guys are killing it down there, Chaz. And I can't thank you enough for the the open and honest sharing with everything you guys are doing with it, man. Because this is this is killer stuff, bro. I I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Oh, thank you for having us, man. And uh, thanks for uh, do everything that you do, man. I I enjoy your podcast. That's why when you asked me to be on this, I was like kind of starstruck a little bit. Like I know we've never met in person, but I've listened to your podcast all the time, and it was like. I couldn't believe it was actually going to happen, so I was pretty yeah, This is really exciting for me, man. I enjoy, I enjoy doing this with you. Well, I appreciate you being on, man, and I, I greatly appreciate the kind words, brother, and uh, we'll be in touch real soon, all right? All right, Coach. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. 
And a huge thank you to Mississippi's Chaz Ossenheimer for spending the time with us today. Guys, I mean, absolutely killer stuff. Breaking down the entire program from where they started, what they're doing, what they're looking at, and how it's changing decisions, you know, and, and how this whole thing is, is working together with the whole staff is really, really awesome stuff. I can't thank him enough for being so open, honest, and candid, you know, with, with everything that we're, we were discussing today. Uh, absolutely fantastic stuff. And as guys, as always, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe on iTunes, Podomatic, and YouTube so you can stay up to date with all the podcasts. And if you did enjoy it, the only other thing we would ask, guys, is if you would please leave a review. We would be greatly appreciative of that. And as always, guys, thank you so much for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.